Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Um, welcome to another episode of Ukutembeka um, in collaboration with um, Professional CPD. My name is Takamba Sidikane. I'm here today, as usual, with my colleague, Johan Felyun. And um, the topic that we're going to be discussing today is dispute procedures. But before I go ahead, hi, Johan, how are you? Hi, I like you. Fine, and you? I'm well, thank you. Um, yet again, we do another interesting topic, dispute procedures, and we just want to welcome you again. Yes, thanks. I think it would be an interesting discussion. Uh, it's always, I think, the just the dispute, just the dispute itself. Forget about the procedure. Mm. <laughs> always, <laughs> always interesting. Yeah, no, and I, I I, totally look forward to this and I'm sure that somebody out there is going to learn something out of today's um, topic. Anyway, let me not waste much time. Just um, an overview is that we also deal with the dispute procedures in our accredited course, which is called Standard Forms of Contract Fundamentals. And this is a comparison between the JBCC, NEC, FEDIC and the GCC. Now, Johan, I'm putting you back on the spotlight. Um, shall we begin? If you can just tell us, please, why is it important to know the dispute procedures? Yeah, I think the the, the short answer to this um, is that it, it must definitely be known by both parties, not just the one party, obviously, but both parties. Because the dispute, if 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 the parties adhere to the dispute procedures, then the dispute procedure will work as it is intended to work. And I mean, that is the, that is the aim of every procedure, not just the, the, the dispute procedure. So it's in place to make it work because it's been tried and tested, if I can call it that. So, and, and, and I think the risk in it is if the procedures are not followed to the, you know, to the T, then it becomes either unworkable or another hurdle gets in the way, which may delay the procedure, which which then piles up unnecessary cost for the parties. Or, or, or I, I want to say in the worst case, that a party then, it's possible that a party will lose its full entitlement to a dispute and the process will stop there. So it's, it's important that these procedures must be followed. <clears throat> so and if the procedures are not followed correctly, it's, it's then also possibility that the whole procedure will stop there and uh, the party will be dead in the water. Now, you said that this is a procedure that needs to be followed to the T. Is it then safe to say to assume that these procedures include time barring clauses? In some, yes, some instances, yes, it does, does have time barring clauses and some, some don't. So I think the parties, if you, if you go through the procedure and, and I, I want to call it do a flowchart for yourself, um, it must be noted that some will have and some don't. And I think important issues we dealt with the time barring clauses in one of our previous podcasts, and it, and in the detail we have discussed in that post podcast is that it's clear that the courts do apply this with a very firm hand. So when we deal with contracts, I think the listeners will be able to identify these clauses, and if the timelines timelines obviously are missed, then the party will be dead in the water and the procedure or the process will just stop there. And I think all the listeners are familiar with what a dispute is. So maybe not all have gone through the mill of a dispute 
as I possibly chose to resolve the dispute amicably, which is also a good thing. But now, how will how will we be looking at the dispute process? I mean, will it be one specific contract or will we be looking at more than one contract, Johan? You the first part of what you said. I think there's about, say, four standard forms of contract in SA that's normally normally used or generally used. And most of the people that's in the industry over the, over their professional career, they will definitely work on on one or more of of these. Um, depends on, I think, on on project by project, and also obviously by individual in what, what discipline he uh, specialises in. But yeah, we were looking at at uh, at four of the standard forms of contracts, and I think just. For now, I, I also like we always do is I must say this doesn't this podcast doesn't uh, constitute legal advice, and it's again it each project each scenario is different. So um, I think the people can just contact us if need to be at uh, info at u triple c dot co dot za. So now, which contracts will we be looking at, Johan? Okay, so we'll be. We'll be looking at the FIDIC conditions of contract for construction for building and engineering works designed by the employer, the first edition, the 99 uh, Red Book, the JBCC Series 2000, the 6.2 edition of May 2018, which will be the PBA, the principal agreement, uh, the principal building agreement, and the NEC4, uh, the engineering and construction contract, June 2017 with the amendments of January 2019. And then the other one would be the, as we know at the GCC, the General Conditions of Contract for Construction Works from SICE, the third edition, the 2015, which is generally known as the, as the Blue Book. So if we look at FIDIC, I noticed that the dispute procedure is detailed in subclauses 20.2, which is for the appointment of the dispute adjudication board. Then we've got subclause 20.3, which deals with the failure to agree dispute adjudication board. Then there's subclause 20.4, which deals with the obtaining dispute adjudication board's decision. We've got another subclause 20.5, which deals, um, in fact, it relates to amicable settlement. And then subclause 20.6, which deals with arbitration, and subclause 20.7, which deals with the failure to comply with dispute, dispute adjudication board's decision. So these subclauses states a lot of things, and I'd like you to explain the procedure in a simple way. But can I interrupt you if I have more questions, just so you can explain, please? Yes, yes, Q, for sure. Um, there's no problem in interrupting. The I think, yeah. Look, there's a it's a lot of clauses, a lot, of, a little couple of pages, and um, yeah, to make try and make sense of it and make it flow nicely. It's uh, you need to sit and read the thing and. and and again, type of do a type of a float chart for yourself. But yeah, let's just try and summarize it then. So I think first, first of all, the FIDIC, um, the, the, let's call it the first instance apart from a amicable settlement. The dispute shall be adjudicated by a dispute adjudication board, which is in general terms, we 
just call it the DAB. And the DAB, I want to say, will uh, will be appointed. Yeah, let me rather not say. Let me say the existence will commence when the the parties must jointly uh, appoint a, a DAB, and it will it can consist of either one or three members. So, if it's a if it's a three member panel, then each party. Uh, must propose a member for the other party's acceptance, and it's it's preferable that these members are independent of the parties. And I think for obvious for obvious reasons. Uh, and I may can maybe just add that I was involved with a a, a DAB panel of three members who were were appointed, and the the other party. Um, that appoint or proposed a, a a member, a DAB member, which has done obviously a lot of previous work for them. And I think historically that person also worked for the em employer, not at that specific point in time, but historically that work. And obviously that must be declared to the other party. And if they in agreement with it and they accept it, then there's no, no problem that that uh, individual cannot be appointed uh, as a DAB member, as long as it's everything is transparent and it doesn't uh, it doesn't come to the fore, you know, at a later stage, because that that can create problems. So it must just be transparent and declared to the other party, and then they can decide. The then if it's a, a three three member panel, then the the chairman, the third member, then is appointed by the two members that's been appointed by the parties, and the appointment should be within 28 days of the commencement date. So you can see that it's it's the intent of it is that the DAB must be must be part of the project from in essence from the start. Uh, which also helps if if they if there's a dispute they, they know the project, they know some of the communications, they they get copies of the meet minutes of meetings, you know, the client meetings. So then they aware from the beginning of What's potential issues and so on. So I think that's 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 a very good thing regarding the intent of of the DAB for on FIDIC. So and what happens if the parties fails to agree a member of the DAB? So then the appointing entity or official named in the appendix to tender shall appoint a member of the DAB. So in the appendix to tender, there will be a a, a appointing entity stated. Can be the association of arbitrators or EFSA, the chairman or the chairman of SICE, dependent on what is what is included there um, in the appendix to tender. And then uh, the DAB shall be deemed to be not acting as arbitrators. I think which is a a important important point to remember. What does it mean when it's said that the DAB shall be deemed to be not acting as arbitrators? Yeah, it, it, it means that the DAB is not covered by any arbitration provisions in the governing law, which, which in essence is the Arbitration Act. There's an Arbitration Act of, uh, I think, from 1965, if I remember correctly, on the top of my head, which... Um, which obviously has got got some some things 
that the arbitration procedure or arbitrator uh, is obliged to do. So yeah, that so Fiddick states that that's not the intent of the DAB. And I think what's also important in in, in Fiddick is that the the DAB may be asked for an opinion, but if it if they if the DAB is asked for opinion, it must be jointly referred to by the parties to the DAB. And I was involved in in a a, a project where we've done done that because there there was something that wasn't one hundred percent clear, and you you knew that there is a dispute coming. So you can you can refer the a, an opinion, so in collaboration with, uh, at that point in time, let me say at that point in time, I was I was representing the, the contractor and um, we've sat down with the employer and say, listen, this is this is where we're at. We see this thing we're not going to resolve without most probably um, referring it uh, to the DAB. So let's get an opinion and then we can decide if we want to take it further and get a get a a a, a ruling from uh, from the DAB, or that we will say okay, we will abide by the opinion and either take it further or not take it further. So then you sit down and you you like create a scenario and you ask questions specific to that to that scenario, and then you can give it to the DAB, and they will obviously convene. A meeting between themselves, discuss it, and then they will give you an opinion. So the opinion is not is not like a ruling. But I think that's a very nice mechanism, uh, just to ensure maybe unnecessary time is not you know wasted and cost wasted. So yeah, I I, I quite like that uh, express provision in, in FIDIC. Yeah. So if we if we proceed with the procedure, the disputes. Uh, must be referred to the DAB, to the chairman, in writing, and the other party and the, and the engineer must be copied to that referral. So this communication must must also state, and it must be ex uh, it's expressly said uh, or stated in FIDIC that that notice must uh, be given in terms of subclause twenty point four. So then it's clear we say okay yes this is a referral. There's no 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 ambiguity. Uh, or grey area around it. And should, I think it should be noted that no time is specified for this notice, for this dispute notice. There's no time specified. So there's no time barring um, for a party to, to, to declare a dispute. It is, it is also stated that any dispute of any kind whatsoever, as long as it's a dispute between the parties in connection or arising out of the contract or the execution of the works can be notified. So anything can be, uh, uh, obviously in relation, not because your dog ran <laughs> in the road, but anything in relation to the contract can be notified as a dispute. And this includes any dispute as to any certificate, a determination, an instruction, opinion, or valuation of the engineer. So it is it is wide and it's not just specified to certain instances. And normally, normally the DAV will convene a meeting uh, and then the procedure and timelines uh, shall be agreed between 
uh, both parties and also with the uh, uh, the DAB panel. What is the norm or most likely procedure that will be followed by the DAB for the submissions between the contractor and the employer? Yeah, if, if, uh, if the contractor, for example, dis uh, disputes something, then it mm. will be the, the contractor's referral submission first. So it will submit. Then the employer will respond to uh, that referral. Then the contractor will get a chance to reply to the uh, employer's response. And then the employer will then submit its rejoiner which is in essence a reply to the contractor's second submission. Then normally the, the DAB will have an opportunity to submit questions to the parties. Uh, then, or yeah, they will submit questions. Then the, the parties will either need to answer the questions or the question will be to submit additional information. So then the parties submit that and normally that needs to happen you know, at the same at the same time, uh, and I think just the simple reason for that is to not allow a party because they already now dealt with um, their cases. It's been answered. I want paragraph by paragraph, and now the last answers to the questions or additional information. It's just to to ensure that a party, let's say the employer, submits eight o'clock in the morning and then the contractor didn't submit his yet. Now he sees no the employer has answered this and this and now in his his answers he deals with maybe a uncertainty or gray area which the employer has submitted. So it's just to to ensure that that doesn't happen because you, you had your time now to to make your case and state your case and defend it. So if if that's done then the DAB uh, shall give the its decision within about not about within eighty four days after receiving the reference or or another time can be agreed between the parties. Sometimes it, it's um, no, it's just dependent on availability. Sometimes maybe it's dependent on the on the complexity of the of the dispute. So, but. If no other time is agreed, 84 days is the is the period for the decision to be submitted. So then now now the parties get the decision back from the DAB, and then the parties have 28 days to submit a notice of dissatisfaction if they do not agree with the DAB's decision. So it, it may be either one party or both parties can can submit a, a notice of this dissatisfaction. So here there is a time barring uh, clause as the one specific par paragraph in FIDIC. It states that if the DAB has given its decision as to a matter in dispute to both parties and no notice of dissatisfaction has been given by either party within 28 days after it received the DAB's decision, then the decision shall become final and binding upon the parties. So it's quite clear that there is a period of 28 days, which the parties can then submit that uh, dissatisfaction notice. And if a party wants to submit a notice of dissatisfaction, how will that work? Yeah, if, if a party or parties wants to submit a notice 
of the satisfaction in the notice must state that it is given under sub clause 20.4, just like the you know, just like the referral. And it must also then state the reason or reasons for the satisfaction. So that must be made clear in that notice. So if a notice of the satisfaction is submitted by a party or by the parties before proceeding to arbitration, the parties may attempt to settle the dispute amicably. So there's always that 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 option. And again, I think you it's always better to try and you know to sort this thing out without the formal let's call it the formal dispute procedures it's just you know it's just more cost effective and um yeah the parties must if, if there's at least some you know uh fairness on offers that's been made and so then I, it's always good always if they don't want to just um you know amicably settle settle the dispute then the parties uh, will go then to arbitration or the arbitration may commence after 56 days after the day on which the notice of the, the satisfaction was given. And they say, even if there's no attempt to amicable settlement has been made. So the it's obviously preferable, but if not, then arbitration can commence within 56 days. So then this dispute shall be finally settled by international arbitration in accordance with the rules of the International Chamber of Commerce, which is the ICC, and they say three arbitrators. So if 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 these clauses haven't been amended in the in the contract, then you can see that this is quite an expensive road to go. I mean if you just if you just look at three arbit arbitrators, then that cost alone <laughs> would be would be a, a, a bitter pill to swallow. And, and again, then obviously the parties will have a look and say, okay, we're sitting here with a hundred million claim, for example. Yes, then it becomes it becomes a, a viable option to go that route. And what's in, important here is that the parties will be able to submit evidence in the arbitration which was put before the DAB and any decision by the DAB shall be admissible as evidence in the arbitration. If we look at the JBCC, I noticed that the dispute procedure is quite detailed in Clause 13. Can you just maybe just explain that procedure in a simpler way? So a disagreement may arise between the employer or the principal agent, the PA, or an agent and the contractor, um, which they say of, of or concerning the action or inaction of the employer or the PA or an agent or the contractor, or any matter concerning the agreement between the parties. So again, each party or agent can uh, 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 raise a dispute of any sort of any kind in relation to the contract. So then other party, depending on obviously who wants to dispute something or disagreement, if there's a disagreement, then the party then may submit a notice of disagreement to the other party. And the party shall attempt to resolve, or the parties shall attempt to resolve such disagreement between them within 10 working days. So it's two weeks of receipt of the notice of disagreement. So it's a two-week period that they uh, that they have to to in essence see if they can, can can resolve the matter. And then if the disagreement is not resolved within that 
that 10 working days, then it shall be deemed to be a dispute. So there's first a disagreement, try and resolve it within 10, 10 days. And um, if not, then it is a dispute. So I think it can be seen that, that only when a disagreement can cannot be resolved with this 10 working day period becomes a dispute. So I think the, the parties really need to sit down, use the 10 days and see if they cannot resolve uh, the matter. The, the dispute shall be referred to the adjudicate uh, referred to adjudication within 10 working days of the expiry of the period. So that's the first 10, 10 working days. So it's not resolved. Then they have 10 days to refer this to the adjudicator or to the to adjudication. And I think what is important is that the referral shall be done by a notice of adjudication which shall then clearly define the scope of dispute and the relief sought by the parties. So immediately say, this is in essence my case and this is what I want to get paid or time that I want or whatever the, the dispute is about. If the procedure uh, stipulated for adjudication, in other words, the notice of adjudication within 10 working days period, scope of the dispute and the relief sought is not followed, the dispute shall then be resolved by arbitration and not adjudication. So if that doesn't happen, then you move over to arbitration. So if the disagreement cannot be resolved and it becomes a dispute, how will the adjudication process work there? So I think I think the, the, the important thing is to have an adjudication, you need an adjudicator. So I think that's a good good place to start. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the in the contract data, there's a provision to fill in the nomination nominating body who needs to nominate the adjudicator. So um, same as Fidik, there's a, a a body that's stated there. So then they must be requested to appoint an adjudicator for that specific dispute. What happens then if the nominating body is not provided in that con in the contract data? Unf un unfortunately, this happens in the industry by intention or, or no intention, by you know by accident. Doesn't matter if it's not there; it's not there. But it's it's not it's not detrimental to the process. But what it does do is it pose a problem in the sense of delay and and. The, how does the old saying go? Justice delayed is justice denied. So, but yeah, I think the, the JBCC edition 6.2 uh, provides specifics in a case where the nominating bodies for the appointment of an adjudicator or an arbitrator is not stated. So in this case, the referring party shall have the right to choose a local recognized body to suggest one or more persons with appropriate skills to be appointed. If the nominating body is stated uh, in the contract data, then that body shall nominate an adjudicator. And the rules, the rules shall be agreed by the parties. If if they cannot agree, then the adjudicator shall determine the rules. I think what's important in, in, in this instance is that the parties shall not be entitled to uh, legal representation. And again, yes, they can if it is agreed in writing between the two parties. So in the adjudication, if a determination is given by the adjudicator, that uh, determination shall 
be immediately binding uh, uh, by the no uh, binding upon the parties and it must be implemented by the party it's not dependent on referral to arbitration and i think sometimes sometimes this happens either by agreement or no agreement um that a party doesn't want to comply with the determination of the adjudicator what happens if a party does not comply with the adjudicator's determination so in other words if the party that lost mm-hmm. the adjudication does not pay the other party yeah thank you again and unfortunately this this sometimes happens and i think from a personal point for me it's a sign of you know it's a sign of dis- disrespect and if it's not complied with as the parties does not honor the contract as that is what has been agreed between the parties and and yeah let me rather not say too much about it but i was involved in a in a dispute that ended up in arbitration where one of the parties uh they did not comply with the adjudicator's determination so they first went to adjudication then ended up in arbitration and the party that won that adjudication went to the high court and submitted an application to order the other party to give effect to the adjudication of uh, the adjudicator's determination and and again you know it's unnecessary money unnecessary time but i also read the the judgment and i must say that that specific judge went in quite hard on the party that did not comply with the determination so yeah it becomes an order then it becomes an order of the court and the party needs to comply with it otherwise the party is in contempt of court which has got serious consequences obviously but i mean it's you know it's so unnecessary and it's just sometimes it's just the power play that's happening i think things would just be much easier if parties just comply with whatever is written in the contract and you know honor that because that's what you've what you've agreed to So then what happens if the parties or a party does not agree with the adjudicator's determination? Uh so either party may give notice of a dissatisfaction to the other party within 10 uh working days of receiving the adjudicator's determination. So again there is a time period that needs to be complied with. Where party submits a notice of dissatisfaction and the matter needs to go to arbitration. No, no the adjudicator shall not be eligible for appointment as an arbitrator so if he's the adjudicator mm. that's it he can't be or act as an arbitrator in the same case mm. okay okay so so then if the matter is referred to arbitration how does that work now i think what must be remembered is that any determination by the adjudicator shall remain in force unless and until it's overturned by an arbitration court that's very important to know so if if the adjudicator's determination is there it's there and that must must be acted upon uh by by the parties so the arbitrator shall be nominated by the nominating body stated in the contract data so that should also be stated there and then the rules shall be as stated in the contract data or shall be as agreed between the parties and the arbitrator failing which the rules shall be determined by the arbitrator but normally it look the standard set of rules uh with the association of arbitrators or efsa or as we've seen um by international arbitrations the icc rules that can be used and so on so there is there is 
standard sets of rules normally. It may be changed by the parties by agreement, obviously, if uh, if need to be, uh, but it must be mutually agreed. And then the arbitrator's award shall be final and binding on the parties. And then, and then in an arbitration, how will the submissions by those parties work? Yeah, look again at the that can be agreed between the between the parties, but in 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 general, it would be a statement of claim by the claimant, who, whoever that is, either the contract the contractor or the employer. So, statement of claim that will be submitted. Then there would be a return submission, uh, which is a statement of the defence, which then will be the respondent. But it may vary, obviously, as I said, on the specifics, the parties and the arbitrator. And it's possible that there may be additional submissions like counterclaims, replications, amendments to statements of claims and statement of defences and so on. So, yeah, arbitrators, again, but that's another discussion. They they need to, they need to uh, manage that process very, very carefully and make sure that it doesn't, you know, get dragged up dragged out and i know that the jbcc also makes provision for mediation how does that work yeah the parties may at any time refer the dispute to mediation so it doesn't matter where they are in the process they can refer refer it to mediation but it must be by agreement in other words both parties must agree to this and also the appointment of the mediator and the procedure shall be agreed between the parties. Now, if we look at the NEC4, I noticed that the dispute procedures detailed under this optional clause W1. Could you just take us through that procedure? W1 is used where adjudication is the method of dispute resolution and where the UK Construction Act does not apply. So in, in South African cases, it would be W1. So dispute is referred to the so-called senior representatives. The senior representatives are named in person in the contract data, which is normally two from each each party. So it's in the in the contract data. It would be their uh, name, surname stated, so you everybody will know who the senior representatives are, and Option W1 also provides a table which is called the dispute reference table. And in, in this table, it is clearly indicated what the dispute should be about, which party may refer the dispute to the senior representatives, and when it must be referred to the senior representatives. So it's got the, the specific points there. You will see, okay, you want to uh, dispute this specific event circumstance or scenario and then you must just fit it in that specific box then it will state uh, the period in which it may be uh, uh, referred to the senior representatives i think what's also important is most of most of those cases are a 28 day period there's one if i remember offhand there's one that has not got a time limit but it does it does say uh, let's say in general, as soon as possible after you became aware or when the dispute arised.
So if a if a senior representative is changed, the other party must be notified in writing of the replacement. So it's important to keep that list up to date if either somebody cannot act as a senior representative or resigns from that uh, organization, um, the other party must be notified. And then if a party refers a dispute, that party notifies the senior representatives, the other party and the project manager. So you see the first stop is the senior representatives. Uh, so then, And if that notification is submitted, it must state the nature of the dispute that must be resolved. And after this, this notification, each party must submit to the other their statement of case within one week. So it's it's quite quite intense. It's a short short period. If that or that specific uh, statement of case says that it must be a maximum of uh, pages that the statement of claim can contain is 10 sides of A4 pages. So it's quite specific on the volume of what it may contain. So I think they're trying to just to keep it as short, concise as possible. And um, that 10 pages also includes the supporting evidence. So you'll see your narrative narrative and all the evidence that you've got must be fitted into that uh, perimeter. It does say if um, it may be agreed, uh, agreed between the parties that it can be more. But I think this will be dependent on the specific matter and the complexity of it. If it's not, if it's not otherwise agreed, I mean, you, you need to stick with the 10 pages. So if the statement of claims uh, are submitted, then the senior representatives must have uh, as many meetings as is, as is required over a period of three weeks to try and resolve the matter. The procedures must be agreed by the part by the parties. So you've got one week submit a statement of claim. Once that is done, then the senior representatives would, uh, uh, will have three weeks. Uh, if, and it's not dependent on one meeting. You can have 15 meetings in those three weeks or however many is required. And then at the end of this three-week period, the this, three this senior representatives, then they must compile a list of the items that's agreed and a list of items that's not agreed. The agreed items then must be put into effect by the project manager and the contractor. And I think what's also clear here is that the senior representatives must have the authority to bind the party to an agreement. So it doesn't help you put uh, an individual on the list as a senior representative who hasn't got that authority. So it's it's a, let's say it's a quite high level uh, individuals that needs to be um, or needs to act as the senior representatives. And what is important here is that they say that uh, no evidence of the statement of case or discussions is disclosed or used or referred to in any subsequent proceedings before the adjudicator or tribunal, which is, uh, which is important as it effectively puts the process followed by the senior representatives on to a without prejudice basis. And I think by doing so, it permits the senior representatives to open, to be open with each other, ensure that whatever is said there is a real, real, um, you know, attempt to, to resolve the matter. 
So if all the issues can be agreed between the senior representatives, the dispute is then resolved and comes to an end. But what happens if there are matters which are not resolved between the senior representatives? Yeah, I think you obviously the, the intent is to resolve all the matters, but unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't get resolved. So should one, one of the parties decide that he needs to pursue the matter or matters dependent on, on what's not resolved, the party must issue a notice of adjudication to the other party and the uh, project manager within a two-week period of the time when that list was compiled. Or if the list was not compiled, then at, when it should have been compiled. So then the dispute then must be referred to the adjudicator within one week of the notice of adjudication. And the party needs to submit a notice of adjudication to the other party and the project manager and a notice of referral to the adjudicator. The period of one one week may be extended if so agreed between the contractor and the project manager. So again, it can be can be extended, but it must be agreed. And what's also important here is, I think, is that the extension must be agreed and put into writing by the PM before the one-week period expires. So it can't happen after the one week. It must happen within that one-week period. But again, before the adjudication can take place, there needs to be an adjudicator appointed. So normally the adjudicator shall be nominated in person in the contract data. What then if the adjudicator is not nominated in the contract data? I think then, it's, then the parties must jointly choose an adjudicator. Mm. Okay, and then if the parties cannot agree to an adjudicator? Then then one of the parties uh, may ask the adjudicator, the nominating body, to choose one, and then they need to choose one uh, within seven days of the request. So in, in any event, the parties must appoint the adjudicator under the NEC dispute resolution services contract current at the starting date. So the adjudicator has now been appointed. The necessary notices submitted have also been submitted. Then then, then what? So the, the referral notice submitted to the adjudicator must also include information that must be considered by the adjudicator. So it needs to be, in essence, detailed. And any additional information from a party must be submitted within four weeks of the referral. However, again, this period may be extended if the adjudicator and the parties agree to it. And what normally, what normally happens is that the adjudicator convenes a meeting within a week of receiving the referral. And in that specific meeting, the procedures and the submission dates are agreed between everyone. So it's again just a, a, a meeting. So, okay, this is a dispute. These are the parties. And then these are the procedures and submission dates that the things need to happen. Generally, it's again the statement of claim, statement of uh, defense, a replication, a rejoinder, and then clarifications, and then the adjudicator's decision. Is the adjudicator's decision final and binding? Unless it is otherwise agreed between the parties, the adjudicator's decision, if not final, but it is binding. So if it is not final, it means that there is something else that can happen. Yes, yes, you, you're 100% correct.
So the adjudicated decision only becomes final if neither party has notified the other party that it is dissatisfied with the decision of the adjudicator and then that it, in, it, in, it is intended to refer the matter to the tribunal. So this notice must be submitted within a four weeks period of being informed of the adjudicator's decision. So again, there's a, a, a basically a month that the parties has got chance to to submit a notice there. If a matter if a matter is referred to the tribunal, and normally the tribunal is is arbitration, then the procedures will be as stipulated in the rules identified in the contract data. So it must state what what rules will will take effect if arbitration takes place. And again, if the parties cannot agree to an arbitrator, then the contract data will state who or what organization will nominate an arbitrator. So I think just in general, it's important and in all contracts, it's important to make sure that the relevant information uh, is is filled in. If there's nominating bodies that needs to be named or uh, individuals, then make sure that it is in there. Now, if we look at the GCC, I noticed that the dispute procedure is detailed in clauses 10.3, which is the dis dispute notice. Then again, we've got clause 10.5, sorry, 10.4, which is the amicable settlement. We also have clause 10.5, which is the adjudication. We've got clause 10.6, which is the disagreement with adjudication board's decision. We've got clause 10.7, which is arbitration. We've got clause 10.8, which deals with court proceedings. Then there's clause 10.9, which is the appointment. We've got clause 10.10, .10, which deals with common provisions. And finally, we've got clause 10.11, which is continuing validity. Could you just please unpack these procedures in a simple way for us? Yeah, that was a mouthful, eh? That's mm -hmm, I know. <laughs> a lot of clauses. Um, but yeah, the, the dispute, again, maybe for anything, provided that the dispute has arisen from or in connection with the contract. So it must be contract related. The contractor or the employer may deliver to the other a dispute notice. And the dispute notice is, has got capital letters, so it's specific. Um, and obviously this must be in writing and a copy must also be submitted to the employer's agent and it must be submitted within a 28-day period of the event giving rise to the dispute. This means that, for example, if the, if the employer's agent's ruling on a claim is going to be disputed, the notice must be submitted within 28 days of receiving that ruling from the employer's agent. And I think it needs to be emphasized that clause 10.3.1.5 uh, is a time-barring clause as a party will lose all entitlement to that dispute uh, or to the dispute process if the notice is not submitted within that specific 28-day period. So what must be included in the dispute notice? So the, the dispute notice must state that the notice is being given, given in terms of clause 10.3.1 and generally, it is just to prevent any you know, any misunderstanding of the purpose of the notice. And it, so then it's clear that, yes, this is a dispute notice. It must also include the nature of the dispute and the relief sought. 
Okay, all right. So if the dispute notice has been submitted, what will be the next step? I think what must, what must be remembered is that uh, amicable settlement process can be entered into at any time. So I think that's important and obviously the, the process is so that the the dispute must be resolved as quickly and as cost-effectively as possible. So amicable settlement would always be on the table. And should the amicable settlement process fail, then the dispute shall be decided by adjudication. So no reference shall be made by or on behalf of outcomes other um, of outcomes either party in any subsequent adjudication, arbitration, or court proceedings to any outcome of an amicable settlement or to the fact that any particular evidence was given or to any submission statement or admission made in the course of the amicable settlement. So it's important that that stays, uh, I want to use the word secret, that may not be uh, mentioned or as provided as evidence in any, any subsequent proceedings. So once this dispute notice has been issued, then the dispute shall immediately be referred to adjudication and in any event not later than 28 days of the dispute notice as stated in the GCC 2015 adjudication board rules. So again, this is a time-barring clause uh, which will mean if the referral to the adjudication is not made within that period, the party will lose entitlement to adjudication. So again, quite strict but important just to have some structure to the process. So the contract data uh, may state that, that there must be a standing adjudication board, and if not, then the dispute shall be referred to ad hoc adjudication. So these, the contract allows for, for, for both either ad hoc or standing, standing adjudication board, and the number of adjudicators shall be also stated in the contract data and the proceedings shall be uh, conducted in accordance with the adjudication board rules. So that everything will be in there. And again, the parties or the, um, the I want to say the organization that prepares the tender documents or the contract must ensure that all these details are, are there. Otherwise it just, you know, there's an additional hurdle that must be overcome, which again delays the process. So again, make sure that all the details are filled in, in the contract data. Then the adjudication board decision shall be binding and implemented by the parties until changed by subsequent award or judgment. So again, it's and this is all through the other the other forms of contract as well. If there is adjudication or arbitration or whatever award or ruling or determination then it must be implemented and that will take effect up to a point where it is overturned by a subsequent procedure or process. Then, then, then my question now is what then must a party do if they don't agree with the adjudication board's decision? So our party may, may disagree with the adjudication board's decision after 28 days and before 56 days of the decision. So there's, again, there's a time period there after 28, but before 56. So if no disagreement notice is submitted by a party 
within that specified time, the dispute is deemed finally resolved and a matter cannot proceed to arbitration or any court proceedings. So again, time barring. And in the event that the decision of the adjudication board was not disputed and the party fails to comply with the decision, the other party may, without prejudice to any other right, he may have referred a failure to arbitration or court proceedings. And then if the, if the contract data provides for determination of disputes by arbitration and a dispute is still unresolved, the matter shall be referred to a single arbitrator. So at least there's not a, a and again, if it's not changed, but uh, like the, the FIDIC has got a three-panel uh, members, which which is quite becomes quite costly. Here, at least, there's a single arbitrator. The rules for the conduct of arbitration arbitrations issued by the AO, AOA, which is Association of Arbitrators, which is current at the time of the referral to arbitration, shall be used. And then also the dispute resolving person or persons shall be appointed by the agreement of the parties. So if failing an agreement within the, a seven-day period of either party delivering a request in writing to agree to such appointment, the person or person shall be nominated on the application of either party by the president or his nominee of the South African Institution of Civil Engineers. So it's also quite clear who's, who's um, responsible for that. And if the employer does not make payment as certified and or the employer does not make payment of retention money on the specific due dates, the contractor may institute court proceedings without initiating the adjudication or arbitration proceedings. So it's quite clear that if there's a, a retention matter, then you can immediately proceed to court. Not in, You don't have to jump through the other hoops. So in closing, Johan, what would you say um, is the most important things that the parties must make sure of? Look, I think the, the contracts are fairly clear on how the process works. But if the required contract data for the appendix to tender is not filled in as it is intended and required, then it, then it will become a problem. And I think we've, we've made that quite clear um, through the session. So it's important to make sure all those all that information is in. Otherwise, the process just you know gets delayed. And if I can use an example, is if the if the nominating body for nominating an adjudicator or arbitrator is not specified or the procedure is not filled in, then the procedure falls flat, and the parties will most probably not agree on an adjudicator or arbitrator or procedures as the relationships can be down to the drain, and that there's no you know cooperation because we must remember at the time when you in essence you're busy with a dispute if there's disagreement then already the the relationships in most probability are tainted and you just then would think that listen we just go with a with a book so i think if if it's just made sure that all the information is there then it's clear how the procedures should work and then there would wouldn't be any other any other hurdles that you need to jump or hoops that you need to uh, sort out. So yeah, make sure, make sure, make sure. No, thank you, Johan. This has truly been valuable information because 
I'm sure none of us on projects want to be caught off guard. And it also just, um, I feel like this session highlights the importance of making sure that already in the agreements that we sign and in the contract data, things like this for disputes are, are, are allowed for in those um, contract data. So with that being said, we've reached the end of our um, podcast, which is dealing with the, dis with the dispute procedures. And we certainly hope that um, this information is found to be valuable and very helpful in terms of how we execute the projects that we are working on. And most importantly, we also believe that this information is quite helpful and, and will provide much guidance to SMMEs as well. You can contact us on info um, by sending us an email, info at uccc.co.za. That's info at uccc.co.za. We are going to be having more podcasts, so please be on the lookout. There's quite a lot that um, you can learn out of these sessions. So thank you for your time, and we look forward to engaging again in the next podcast. Cheers.